welcome to episode 136 of NCP. I'm your host, David, and we'll be the NCP crew, Richard. Don't you mean, this is Richard? Sorry, your voice there was just very epic sounding. Oh, oh, I, oh I appreciate it. I it's at, bigger I'll... than Ben-Hur. Yeah, that was good. I liked it. Right. I am your host, David. <laughs> and with me are the NCP crew, Richard. I am Richard. Luke. Critic is ready. <laughs> and Crystal. Hello. <laughs> that was beautiful, man. Back, that was good. Bringing back memories of my nightmare. What nightmare? Oh, yeah, tell, tell me about your nightmare. I had, a, I had a nightmare. I don't, I don't know why, because I've not seen her in anything recently, but we were uh, at a fair and there was a giant 40 foot tall Dawn French terrorising <laughs> place Godzilla style 40 foot Dawn French <laughs> and she did was, she have a chocolate orange in her hand? no but she all she wanted was to be made beautiful and she was um, destroying everything in her wake did she look like um, did she look like how she does in when French and Saunders do the whatever happened to baby Jane <laughs> That'd be no, terrifying. No, I, just, I don't really remember what she's wearing. I think she was wearing black actually, but she wasn't the figure of <laughs> uh, For this episode, we have we've got a bumper episode for you. This one, ladies and gentlemen, it is epic. It is indeed epic, much like the intro. It's, it's, that's why they deserve that intro because that's it is right. indeed. We've got, we've got reviews, uh, a dis- roundtable discussion on comic continuity. Is it important or a hindrance to good storytelling? Our top five crap sequels to decent films. Because I thought, because I felt like it. Because <laughs> <laughs> we want to pick on bad movies. That's right. And we'll, and we'll finish up with coming soon. And now goodbyes. Before we move into the reviews, I just want to throw out some plugs. The winner of uh, round five of Contest of Champions was Deadpool. Uh, who defeated X-23, much to my disgust. I'm shocked that he won. (laughs) What a shock. So that means that uh, the voting for round six is now open, which is Tilk versus Jamie Summers, the Bionic Woman, and Max. I have to keep putting that out. (laughs) She does, in fact, have Max with her. So uh, voting's open. Get your your thoughts in. We've already had some comments already. It's pretty cool. As in Tilk from Stargate. Yeah. Now there's a bizarre crossover. I want to see. I want make it happen. It is happening <laughs> next week, next episode. Tune no, in. I'm talking about it like the comics or something. All oh, right, make it happen. We got. Uh, I'll talk about it more next episode because it's more of a contest and champions type uh, type show. But uh, we actually got a really uh, an epic is the only word comment on uh, the six million dollar man versus Bionic Woman fight. So I'll, I'll actually I'll read out that entire comment uh, next episode. It was good. Uh, the other plug I've got is Paul Bedford's The List. Uh, which is a great little Aussie comic. Uh, if you don't know about it, check it out. Uh, has been uh, redone in a beautiful-looking hardcover edition, which is now available on Kickstarter. Uh, so check it out. We'll have a link, the link in the show notes. I've already done a post for it on the Facebook and uh, the website anyway. So uh, That's cool. Is it collecting everything? Yep. Like all three? Mm-hmm. They are. Yeah, nice. the complete story and uh, beautiful new cover illustration. And Yeah, that's good. Excellent. So Paul's a legend. We'll talk to him at... Uh, I think he's going to be a supernova, so we'll talk to him. So we've spoken to him before. He's a, he's a fan of the fan of the show, and we love him dearly. That's the end of the shameless plugs. Let's move on to the reviews. Okay, our first review is going to be Richo. I'm reviewing Thor Epic Collection Volume Four to wake the Mangog. 
Mm, to wake the man god. To wake the man god. Is that god. what you say to your lady friends? Absolutely. Hey, baby, come and wake the man god. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, a little bit of sick just went in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I find it's best to defend when everyone else is not talking. If, if I'm not talking, then just to tune everyone else out. <laughs> <laughs> no, Why am I not shocked by that? <laughs> I just wait for the bits where I need to reply, that's all. <laughs> all right, it's, it's Richo's time now, so leave him leave, leave, That's okay, as you can see, I'm going let to my Let him get on the sandbox. Luke would like to wake the man gog. <laughs> I heard my name, but the rest of the words just sound like gibberish. Yeah. Um, okay, Marvel's epic collection series of trade paperbacks is basically their attempt to reprint pretty much everything. Everything. Um, but the, the great thing about these volumes, I, I'm absolutely loving this initiative by, by Marvel. First of all, because a lot of what they're reprinting is stuff that they've never reprinted before. Uh, you know, a lot of lesser known runs are actually finally getting out there, which is great. Great for an old school fan like myself. There's um, only so many times they can reprint like Craven's Last Hunt and yeah, exactly the right. Saga and all this sort of stuff. Let's get some Mangog action. Exactly. The other great thing about these books <laughs> is that um, they're re- usually reprinting about twenty issues per volume and in color. I know, which is fantastic. Oh, so you don't get to color it in? No, but <laughs> if you got there's there's the essential books if you want to color it in. Okay. So. But, um, yes, I've been buying a lot of these, but the reason why I wanted to review this book, first of all, because it's Lee and Kirby. All right. Gods amongst men themselves. Like, um, <laughs> Secondly, it's uh, actually the, the latter part of Kirby's run on Thor, just before he leaves to go to DC, and he is literally on fire at this point, um, artistically. Um, he's really going for big, huge, epic storytelling, which obviously you see later on then when he moves to DC and does New Gods. But um even at this yeah, even even in this latter period at Marvel, um, he's just he's doing epic storytelling on a scale that just hadn't been seen at this point. And this book is just chock full of that sort of stuff. Um I consider his run on Thor to be the second best thing he did at Marvel, um and the second most creative thing he did at Marvel after of course, the classic Fantastic, Fantastic Four. Four run. Yeah, um, a little bit of slap in the face if you had to say that. Yeah, you can't go past you can't go past Fantastic Four, and uh, trust me, the the uh, the Fantastic Four Omnibus Volume Three is coming out in a couple of months, okay. so I'll probably be reviewing that as well. Um, but um, this volume starts with um, the the title story to, to wake the man gog. Now, Mangog is the most ridiculous-looking <laughs> villain I think I've seen in a long time. But the the story and the story behind Mangog is awesome. Like, his entire race attacked Asgard in the past, and they were completely wiped out by Odin, because, as we know, Odin kicks butt. And um, Mangog was imprisoned. And in this story, he escapes and just starts going on a rampage. Is that what they used for the Thor The Dark World story? That's basically the same story. But yeah, basically. It's essentially the same, but they replace it with the owls instead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. Because they didn't yeah. want to put Mangog on the screen. <laughs> Which is a shame. Yeah, using Mangog might be um, kind of like, you know, giant-sized man thing. <laughs> the greatest title for a comic ever. <laughs> um, and look, that, that story is... Um, I mean, the, the book opens with a big epic story. This villain is unstoppable and the armies of Asgard go up against him and just get decimated. And um, and he's making his way to get the Odin sword, which is this gigantic, gigantic sword that if you un, uh, unsheath it from its gigantic... Uh, I'm just really seeing a scene here. <laughs> um, basically, if this... So Mangog's after the giant phallic symbol. Is basically is. what you're saying? And, and the thing is, if he, takes, if he takes the sword, then then Ragnarok happens. 
So the stakes are pretty damn high on this one. Um, it takes the song Ragnarok happens. It's the beginning of Ragnarok, yeah. I thought the beginning of Ragnarok was when Surtur attacks. Well, that's the thing. Um, Walt Simonson, obviously, during his classic run, ah, um, right. actually brings that up again because Surtur goes after the Odin sword yeah. in that story as well. Um, well, there you go. So, that, yeah, that's the first story. Big, epic, a lot of fun. But the real classic stories in this volume, for me, involve Thor, Thor's encounters with Galactus. Now, for those of you who don't know, Galactus is this godlike cosmic being that destroys planets in order to survive. And at this point in time, um, he'd only really made one or two appearances. So, Before he Galactus, become cheapened. Yeah. So Galactus showing up is a huge deal. Yeah. And um, the great one, the, the great story of this is that, um, first of all, you get Galactus is, is coming to destroy Rigel, where the Rigelians live. Mm-hmm. And so the Rigelian Tarn and Nile, who had appeared in early stories, comes to collect Thor and for his help. And Thor has the recorder with him as well. Um, but at the same time, Galactus encounters Ego, the living planet. And of course, decides to, wants to like eat him. And Ego, of course, through self-preservation, wants to actually survive. And so you get this fantastic Ego versus Galactus That's awesome. Battle. Followed by Thor then showing up with Galactus. Um, Here's a contest of champions for you. Galactus versus Unicron. Galactus. That's a leader. That's a leader. Write that down. um, So you get that story. You get a really nice issue with the Wrecker. Which, you know, it sounds ludicrous because the Wrecker is a kind of a ludicrous villain. But it's awesome. a really great story in that. Um, yeah. But also the big story, the really, really big story in this is that you get the origin of Galactus for the first time. Cool. Um, as he tells, he tells Thor his origin story. And, you know, his origin story is huge. It's like he's the last survivor of the previous universe and um, is basically the one that survived the Big Bang and so therefore is the first being in, in the new universe as well. So, like I said, this is, this is epic on a scale that is just beyond anything that was seen at this time. Kirby, as always, on fire artistically here. Unfortunately, a big chunk of the volume is inked by Vince Coletta, who is probably the worst inker I've ever seen for Kirby. Later on, you get um, people like Bill Everett Inking, inking him in the, in the latter issues and, and you see a substantial change and George Klein and Joe Sinnott ink an issue or two here as well So and they are much better suited to Kirby but even even Vince Coletta's butchering of Kirby's pencils cannot you know diminish the awesomeness of Kirby drawing Thor um, so yeah this is just absolutely this deserves the title Epic Collection because it is just absolutely epic storytelling at its finest I cannot recommend it highly enough Ah, five. This gets five, no <laughs> doubt about it. <laughs> any, any fan of old school Marvel, especially Kirby, buy this book. Five out of five. <laughs> oh, man, God will get you. <laughs> cool, man. <laughs> Hit me with your man, God. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> it's, getting, it's getting silly. <laughs> what do you mean, get it? It's starting silly. <laughs> Stop um, it! It's the next, the next review is mine. Uh, I I picked my review pretty early on. In the last night, I had sort of a bit of a I don't know, a bit of a fight with my internal internal monologue. Where I was going to change it to you uh, battled your man. Well, 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 yesterday I finally got to see uh, Generation X, um, the terrible oh, dear TV pilot movie thing, and uh, I was I was like, I've got to review this. <laughs> this is brilliant. And uh, but then I thought, nah, I'll go back to the original review. So um, so just just very briefly, Generation X. It's awful. Yep. 
but awesome. <laughs> Check it out. It's so monumentally bad that it's, it's actually so funny. bad that it's brilliant. So uh, it's a damn shame it wasn't made into a series. I right, just a very quick trivia note that the 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 build the building that they use for the school, mm-hmm. the school for gifted youngsters, is the same mansion they use in the films. Okay. So that, that nice little continuity thing. So we actually see them outside in front of the mansion. It's the exact same shot from first class when they're doing the stuff outside the mansion. Okay. Like, Holy crap, that's brilliant. So there you go. Anyway, uh, so my actual review is uh, Seventh Son, uh, which is a fantasy, it's like, like a young adult, it's a series of young adult novels, and uh, this is the first film based on that, which deals with uh, a young magician, magician named uh, Tom, I believe, I don't know, who knows, it's not really important, <laughs> who, <laughs> who uh, is the seventh son of a seventh son, and uh, he is apprenticed uh, through no, no will of his own to... Um, the last surviving witch hunter, uh, Gregory, who is played by the dude. Yeah, so as as cool as it is having Jeff Bridges on screen, which is always awesome, uh, it's it's not enough to save the film, unfortunately. Mainly because as, even though he tries his hardest, like he actually he looks like he's actually trying to to make his character good. His character isn't very good, and the voice that he uses, it's on par with Christian Bale's Batman voice for just annoying as hell. Um, <laughs> Uh, the the other bonus uh, the only other good thing I can say about it really is that um, is that uh, Julianne Moore plays the main the main bad person I was going to say bad guy but bad woman Um, the the witch the witch supreme mother Malkin so having you know the dude and Maud on screen together (laughs) is pretty groovy do they do any bowling they don't do any bowling but they do have like a sort of a touching sort of scene where they like they profess their love for each other type stuff and I was like, you know, some men don't like the word vagina. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking it improves the chance of consent. It does. So you know, so having having them too, as brilliant as they are, it just it's just not enough to get past just how bland Ben Barnes is, who does indeed play Tom. Now that I've got IMDb up, um, he's just. I mean, he's just he's walking cardboard. I mean, it moves along at a, at a nice clip. It's not very long. It's only an hour and forty minutes or something. It's very fast paced. But the thing about it is that it's so boring and so unoriginal that it doesn't matter because you've it's forgotten within five seconds after finish. I mean, as soon as the end credits started, I was like, well, I actually can't even remember what just happened in this film. I mean, it's, and my memory's pretty bad, I admit, but, <laughs> but not that bad. Uh, it's just, it's not terrible in sort of the sense of Aragon-type terribleness or Dungeons & Dragons the movie, which are both atrociously bad. <laughs> it's just bland. Like, nothing really exciting happens. And uh, like I said, Jeff Bridges and Julianne Moore do their best, but uh, they just can't elevate it up from the blandness that it is. You know, avoid. I give it one Luke out of five. Generation X, that was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> the main bad guy guy. It was Matt Max, Max Hedrum. Yeah, yeah, is it Max Hedrum? Yeah. yeah. He's just so over the top. It just it makes Jack Nicholson in, in the Batman film just look like ta- just play acting. And unfortunately... <laughs> He's the most watchable thing in it. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong there. The guy that plays Skid, I thought he was asleep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is hilarious. But the, girl, the girl that plays Emma Frost, I thought was actually quite good. Yeah. And she, was, she actually put some effort in, you know mm. what I mean? <laughs> cool. So on that note, let's move on to our hopefully more exciting than Seventh Sun discussion. Comics continuity. Is it important or was it a hindrance to good storytelling? Cool. Um, so since we've got uh, Richo and Luke... 
on the panel who are, you know, masters of this sort of stuff. I'll just very quickly throw mine, and then they can sort of take over from there. Uh, it's continuity, comics continuity is uh, is quite often mistaken as being similar to like movie continuity. So it's in uh, so, so I just want to clear that up straight from the start. So in, in films, you have a continuity person. So, so basically because films are quite often filmed out of sequence, you need someone there to make sure that someone has the right shoes on or, you know, that the, the shot was in the right thing and all that sort of stuff. Um, when we talk about comics continuity, we're not really talking about that in, in, in per se. We're talking about the idea that a character uh, would or wouldn't act a certain way based on their previous uh, demonstrations of acting and also demonstrating, you know, abilities or, or that they wouldn't you know, normally have had before. And more, most importantly, I think, to the discussion is, well, not referencing things that did happen. Mm. Right, that sort of stuff. Yeah, it continuity, it, it's really, we're talking history. Yeah, we're talking, yeah, we're talking history. Yeah, A history of a character or of um, a group. That's, that's what we mean by continuity. But we don't call it continuity, history, sorry. Because yeah. it is so in flux a lot of the time. Exactly. Um, that, that there is not a lot that's actually set in stone apart from a few... Uh, key points in a character's life. Yeah, so every That's... every character has a, at least one key event mm. or a situation that that sort of is set in stone. Um, but the other sort of stuff is, that's, is a that's bit more. That's what important. I assumed you meant. Yeah, cool. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, just, I, just need, I just need to point <laughs> that right. out. We're when, doing I was, okay, then. when I was researching this, when I was researching this, I just, I just found a couple of you know, quite interesting articles talking about sort of the difference of what people are sort of when people complain uh, uh, online about uh, continuity. Most of the time, they're actually not really complaining about history. They're complaining about stuff. So I just want to be clear, and that's why I phrase the question that way. It's a lot of it's it's you're either it's, it seems to be the case is you're either in two camps. You're either continuity is the be all and end all. It's like you know characters must stay in their established continuity and reference it, and you know not break from that and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then you've got this or the other camp, which is most often the creators. Um, who are saying, well, continuity is nothing more than a hindrance to good storytelling. It's, it's uh, I can't do certain things because, I mean, I can't do certain certain things with Spidey because Spidey would, you know, wouldn't act that way, or because he's established in the past that he that he refuses to kill or something like that. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, so with so with that, I'll throw it to the guys who have who have uh, jumped in. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think I'd like to address that first one about creators. <laughs> And it should be pointed out, not all creators are saying this. No, of course. There are, there are certain comic creators who actually seem to revel within um, within the continuity of their characters. Guys like Kurt Busiak and Mark Wade and um, Roy Thomas back in the day was a, a master of that sort of thing. But, Roger um, Stern. Roger Stern's very strong in that regard. Um, I, I find that that argument to be, first of all, bizarre and also a little bit lazy hmm. um, because if... I mean, I understand that the writers want to be creative and they want to tell stories and things like that. But at the same time, if you're telling stories with an established character and that character has, you know, say 50 years of history, then you're writing that character with the knowledge that that character has that, right? If you want to go and tell your own stories and you want to ignore the the, the, the character, the personality of the character as it's been established, then... There are plenty of opportunities for you as a creator these days to do that. You go and you set up your creator-owned yeah. character. You run it through people like Image or Monkey Brain or um, Boom Studios. Any of those sort of people are more than welcome to, to, to accept submissions from creators in that regard. But I think that if 
if you're writing, say, Spider-Man, let's use Spidey as the example. If you're writing Spider-Man, then you do have to accept that Spider-Man has certain established core character traits and personality traits. Mm. Um, but And that's what makes him appealing as a character. Yeah. You know? If you Sp- change him too much, then is he still Spider-Man? Exactly. Right. If, you exactly. Want, if you want to write Spider-Man going on a killing spree, then don't write Spider-Man. Exactly. Spider-Man wouldn't go on a killing spree. Go yeah. write... You know, well, fine, yeah, fine. yeah. If if you know if if you're working at Marvel, go and write Punisher. Go write Punisher. Yeah, killing is part of the the Punisher's yeah. personality. Mm. Um, and at well, the, they're using the spy analogy. You probably said Deadpool. Go write Deadpool. Yeah, Deadpool kills. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, yeah. Um, at the same time, though, I can understand that there are some fans, especially, who just get into minute of characters. You know, on panel seven of issue 116, Spider-Man did this. And 35 years later, you're doing this again. And it's like, well, you know, big deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but really, often often the problem is, I think, often that creators and editors are actually their own worst enemies in this regard. Mm. Because it seems to be that the easiest thing to do is to go, okay, I'm writing Spider-Man. Right. I know Spider-Man's established personality. We all know what Spider-Man's established personality is. Um, I can just write new stories. I can bring in new villains. I can you know, bring in new supporting cast and just use those character traits without necessarily needing to go back and reference all these other stories. Yeah. The problem is, that's what the companies are constantly doing. Constantly doing. And worse still, worse than that, and the part that annoys me the most is that they're constantly going back and rewriting those stories and trying to retell them in different ways and trying to update them to the modern era and and changing everything. And and, and that's when the problems really start to occur because they're going back to write stories, say, from 20 years ago, maybe, maybe when they were fans reading the comics, but then they choose to then ignore... You know, the 20 years in between that of the character's development and rewrite this story in a way that often makes no sense whatsoever. Mm. Yeah, um, I think it's only on the money with, it, with the editorial thing getting in the way because Marvel have made it very clear in the past. I mean, Stan Lee specifically said this that fans don't like new things. So we don't want, we're not going to give them anything new, brand new. We're just going to re- keep doing what we do in the sort of the vein, the Marvel way, the Marvel method. Mm. And, uh, you know, and then we've gotten to the point that they're in now. So it's, I, think, you, I think the way the Star Trek novels do it is quite good. They, they keep true to the Star Trek universe, but they, and they write new stories that probably go within the timeline of the series or maybe afterwards. I mean, I suppose if you strung them all together, the actual timeline would go far longer than a timeline possibly can. But yeah. I, I haven't read Star Trek novels in a, in a while, but they, t- they tend to stay within the universe. They stay true to the characters, but you get new and original stories. Yeah, and that's and that's the important point right there. That's it. That in fact, the, both of those points, you stay true to the character, but you do new and, and, and interesting stories with those characters. Yeah. Um, the reason I wanted to bring this up is because uh, it wasn't just out of the blue. It's just that we've. I mean, DC is about to do convergence, mm-hmm. um, uh, and the other thing, uh, other is, is Marvel's doing um, Secret Wars, which is the exact same story. It seems, <laughs> like which, is, which is which is the end of the the six one six Marvel universe as we know it, uh, where they combine you know that and the alternate universe, mainly those two, but also some other stuff as well, and sort of combine it into one established universe. Um, I don't know. I, I I find it a little disappointing, but. Mm. 
I'm still excited to see it because <laughs> we're a Marvel zombie. <laughs> but uh, you know, actually, I, I don't mind the the loss of the Ultimate Universe. It really wasn't that good. But uh, and I love Miles, and he still survives. So yeah, I was going to say, is it, is, it, is it this event purely done so that they could bring Miles Morales? That's into a, it. it looks like that's what they're doing. <laughs> Let's bring Miles. Everybody loves Miles. Let's bring him into the six one thing. But see, this is. But anyway, this, so that's the reason I brought up this. This, this, this is time. part of the continuity problem, I think. Yeah. It's like, oh, we've got this successful character in Miles Morales, and he's in his own universe, and seems to be doing very well in his own universe, and the book's still selling well, and, you know, granted the rest of the Ultimate Universe has completely died, but, I mean, it was bound to happen anyway, because they've effectively turned the Marvel Universe into the Ultimate Universe mm. anyway, right? And But now they've gone, oh, but because this character is popular, we've got to now move him into our regular universe and we've got to have him there in the regular universe all the time. And it's like, well, the regular universe already has a Spider-Man. Yeah. And a perfectly good one that has been around for 50 years. So, um, and, and this is, I think, where, where this problem really starts to just go, get completely insane. And yeah. what you were saying with the, with the new 52 is another good example of that. I mean, DC's response to continuity is to completely wipe their continuity out every 20 or 30 years <laughs> and uh, start again. <laughs> Except that they don't start again. Yeah. Which leaves us all very confused because yeah. it's like, oh, you know, well, we've started all the books again. Oh, except Batman and, and Greenland. Green in other words, the books that were selling well to begin with. <laughs> and of course, that, was, leaves fans, that leaves fans completely confused as to, well, what is this continuity now? Yeah. Did you have something you want to jump in? A lot of what I was going to say has already been covered, you know, I much agree. It's um, sort of, you know, I, uh, the nice thing about continuity is you've got a history for a character, for a character or a gr- uh, groups that, you know, you can go back and draw on as a creator or as a fan, you can go back and read um, and you can see sort of a nice tapestry. And um, because, and, you know, you can see um, the forward motion of events and it's quite nice to. Um, to That's read, yeah. um, you shouldn't be slavish to it. Otherwise, all you're doing is just drawing on the past, and we've seen many books um, that have just that have done that. Hmm. And after a while, you do sit there and go, "No, nah, you've." Uh, I feel this is so mired in its past that it's actually not moving forward. Yeah, um, which is, like we just said, they just keep rewriting yeah, the stories. Yeah. That, that's that's part of the that's you know the five year mentality that comics used to have. You know, fans would only be around for five years, and they'd grow up, and you know become teenagers and, you know, would leave childish things behind. Um, <laughs> it's never going to he's, he's reducing with a comic on his lap, right? <laughs> no, that's, that's the mentality it was yeah, in the, 50s, the 40s, 50s, Good story is a good story. I don't care if they come um, what. Yeah. And it's, you know, you know the, on a massive scale, it's the, you know, the crisis in Infinite Earths every, you know, 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what, a, I've got, so I've got no problem with that, no, and I, but I also see, you know, it can be a slight hindrance. What I really think the problem is is and Richard has just covered this is really making it clear, yeah, just what it is you're on about with the characters now. If you're going to reboot, do it complete. Do it completely. Don't decide like in the example I'm going to use here is Zero Year, the recent um, Batman story. Yeah, don't restart. Don't restart the DCU with the New Fifty Two. Get into Batman and then decide Year One has to be rewritten. Yeah, because Year One is. Year one is one of those is for me one of those milestones. It is it's the classic. If you're going to if you're going to rewrite if you're going to rewrite Batman's origin, um, then you actually need a, a much clearer reason to do so than they did than they have done so far. There was no really no reason to go and do redo right. year one, and zero year failed completely in my opinion. Make it clear from the outset what you want to do with the what what the characters are on about now. Yeah. 
don't and make it clear editorially what the what each character. It's, yeah, under. make it clear editorial is the mm. is the is the thing. Um, I just want to finish off by saying that Mark Wade, um, once upon a time said all the Sherlock Holmes stories were written by one guy. Yeah. All of them, you know, all um, fifty six short stories and you know the four novels, all written by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and they are full of continuity gaps, and they are. Yeah. Yeah. But at the end of the day. I don't care if, you know, um, A Scandal in Bohemia, which was written before uh, The Speckled Band or what have you, but The Speckled Band is apparently set beforehand. I don't care. Yeah. What I'm, what I'm more interested in is, you know, seeing what Holmes cool does. Yeah. Mm. Um, and that's, that's what gets forgotten. I'm more interested in seeing what the characters do. Well, I guess that leads into my question. Are you, are you guys fans of continuity? Um, I am a fan of continuity, in, but I prefer to call it history. Yeah. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's the problem. There. We we it's we call it continuity because it makes it easier to accept things like Crisis and Infinite Earths and Secret Wars and all the changes and flux that go on. Whereas I prefer to call it history because the history informs me that the character has gone through progression and change, mm. um, and that things have happened to the character and the character has done things in return that have helped shape him, uh, shape him or her. Sorry, as a person. Yeah. Um, but because we call it continuity, the characters always sort of remain static because it's got to be applicable not just to one group of people, but a whole range of people who might not actually come to the character in the first place. Look, I am a fan, generally speaking, as Luke says, of, of the history of characters. But um, more importantly, I'm a fan of consistency of um, character personalities. Yep. If I'm reading a character, I, I want to I be able to know that it's the same character that I read five, ten years ago, and that the progression in that character's personality is still occurring. And yeah, unfortunately, just... a lot of the time that doesn't happen because people go back to write their favourite version of the characters. Yeah. Uh, to give an example, I've got to say Hawkeye. Yeah. Classic example. Hawkeye went through a lovely progression of character through the 60s, 70s, into when he took over in the, uh, West Coast Avengers in the 80s and he began to mature and everything. And then in the last probably ten years or so, they seem to now be writing him as this weird sort of frat boy. Hmm. Um, Womanizer. Basically, they've gone back to his, his earliest characterizations yeah, and have yeah. completely ignored everything else. That, that's what I'm more a fan of. I, I want to be able to say, you, you know, to draw on that history and say, okay, this is where this character was. This is where he is. This is the progression that's happened. Um, I don't think writers should be absolutely um, slaves to continuity. Cool. But they should use it. Or just don't reference it if if it doesn't work for their story. Exactly. I, th- I think um, one of the problems with the comic universe is the characters often don't age, whereas yeah. in the Star Trek universe, you know what sort of character... Like, take Captain Kirk, for an example. You you would write young Kirk differently than you would write middle-aged Kirk. Yeah. And and the, it always fits with whatever timeline he's in. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, yeah, the, the compressed time thing yeah. of the Marvel Universe is a whole different... Whereas of, Spider-Man's yeah. always... a. Um, often always a teenage boy and how does uh, like in the movies uh, for instance so and it often played differently how do you get character growth there if he's always the same age yeah we could have a whole discussion on Spider-Man it's funny (laughs) you know Spider-Man was one of the characters who actually did change yeah. and grow up with his audience and then they decided and they to change it and <laughs> decided, no, then the teenage version is really the one that we want to do because that makes it more applicable to the audience yeah. so yes, you know, the, 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 the you know middle aged audience still reading these comics <laughs> written by the middle aged writers still writing these mm. comics yeah. anyway that uh, was good um, yeah I, I, I love continuity but yeah, I, I'm with I'm with Luke it's, 
it's the history. Mm. It gives the reader a sense of being involved. Yeah, I've got nothing right. against character development. I've got nothing against characters evolving mm. over time. Mm. Just make it consistent and you know and clear and and and, yeah, and, and make sense and don't, don't and don't regress the characters because you can't be bothered reading where the character is at now. Yeah. Cool. Get to good. the job. Let's move on. Get to the job. <laughs> Get to the job. <laughs> what? Because the job is going to... Uh, let's move on to our top five. So for this edition of top five, we're doing crap sequels to decent films. So uh, very specifically, <laughs> the, film, the original film, the first film, or whatever the second film, had to it had to at least have been, you know, watchable. So there's no point in having the Transformers, you know, Transformers 2, Revenge of the Fallen in there, because Transformers 1 is crap. So yeah. Unless you love Transformers 1 and don't like Transformers 2, which goes, hey, go for it. <laughs> I did have to say that was on a lot of people's lists, so obviously a lot of people did think Transformers 1 was good. Let's clarify. <laughs> Transformers 2 is abysmally bad. It's the worst of all of them. But Transformers 1 is still not what I would call a decent film, as it yeah. doesn't make the list. But another, another common one on the lists on the internet, because I, I did some research looking for crap, specifically crap films to good Six. Did you Google that? Yeah, crap yeah. films? <laughs> I, I, I put bad sequels, bad sequels to good films. Yeah. And I'm sorry, people, you just cannot have The Phantom Menace. Yeah. It, it is not a sequel. It's uh-huh. a prequel. You it's can't still, have it. It's still part of the franchise, though. It's not a sequel. <laughs> you specifically said sequel. I did use I did use the word sequels. That is true. <laughs> okay, so, uh, well, you know, Crystal's on a rampage, so we'll start with her so she doesn't hurt me. <laughs> well, having said that, I was burst my own bubble because I managed to only get three. That's right. <laughs> because I, it seems that I haven't seen that many sequels that I thought were bad. But um, <laughs> I, did, I did make a list of the more co- the most common ones on the internet. Um, so if we get time, instead of a runners up, I might I might just quickly zoom through those. But um, I kept coming in at number three. And I only put this in there because I was really ha- struggling at this point to think of something. Mission Impossible 3. I don't think Mission Impossible 1 was all that great, but it was certainly far better than Mission Impossible 3. <laughs> I don't mind My biggest thing is, what, how does she suddenly know how to use a gun? Yeah, that, yeah that's probably, that is the biggest thing. <laughs> so I actually would have gone Mission Impossible 2, which well, I actually thought was, was just I'll a bit... Mission Impossible 2 did not annoy me as much as Mission Impossible 3. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. Mission Impossible 2 was just a, a, a mediocre film. <laughs> Mission Impossible 3 actually annoyed me. <laughs> <laughs> Number 2 coming in at a, a drawer is equally Superman 3 and 4, which right. I refuse to admit even exist. Harsh. <laughs> that's okay. Most of the filmmaking world did. That's how we got in, Superman in, Returns. In my mind, um, Christopher Reeve never made a bad Superman film. <laughs> <laughs> the legacy continues. And coming in at number one, and this is my Prometheus of all time. <laughs> this is By the one. This is, I like that. This is the one that would make me go on a nerd ranch. Um, is Star Trek Nemesis? Yeah. My yeah. biggest problem with this film is. Having read the novelization, which was, I'm assuming, based off the original script, it could have actually been good. Mm. There was a cool little subplot there going with Worf and then they explained Wesley Crush's appearance. But no, it was either edited rather badly or I don't know what, but it was just put together wrong. It made no sense. Wesley Crusher, why the hell was he there? Mm. It's just... And so this super data scene. Yes, and really. it's, you know, tragedy, spoiler alert, data dies. Um, mm. But data dies, but Wesley doesn't. 
<laughs> it's actually not ever what, said what happens to Wesley. Why not Final Frontier then, which is regarded as the worst of the Star Trek films? Because it's hilarious. Because that's the film seemed, even though it wasn't that great, it, the the storyline sort of made sense to me. There was nothing. There was no questions at the end of me where I'm going. Why on earth did that happen? It makes no sense within the rest of the Star Trek universe. Hmm. Well, Frontier is bad, but at least it has the widest guard near the starship scene. Yeah, which is awesome. Okay, given that final Kurt theory. doesn't take any guff, even from God. Yeah, that's yeah. all you need to know. Yeah. It's a bit really bad. Whereas <laughs> Nemesis, apart from the um, visual effects, this, it was just oh. yeah, the visual effects. Yeah, the no, cinematography was mad. I, I, I understand where you're coming from. Whilst I actually think Five is the worst of the films. Nemesis is just annoying. Yeah, Nemesis annoying. made me mad. I was thinking, oh, cool. I mean, after first contact, I think, great, a new Star Trek film. Mm-hmm. I went in, started watching it, and it's just... <laughs> and that's one of the All few right. people who actually really yeah. liked Insurrection. And I actually had high hopes for Nemesis. And like I said, oh, I wasn't so annoyed until I actually read the novelization and realised it could have actually been a good film. Yeah. Cool, we're going to do me next, uh, mm. because I say so. Number five, I've got Jaws 4. The Revenge! Because it's just awful. Uh, number four, I've got uh, both Matrix Reloaded and Revolutions, because they're both equally crap. Uh, I really like the Matrix, the first Matrix film. Oh, we're well, going back to Jaws. Jaws 1, genius. And then subsequently, films terrible. Let's, 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 not to genius, Jaws 1, classic. Yeah, no, it's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant stuff. And, and that's and, amazing uh, how they just get substantially worse. Yeah. As it goes along. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so and, the Matrix, and the two Matrix films after the first Matrix film are just uh, embarrassment. Well, i got to agree um, with you. The second one was so bad, I never actually saw the third one. Like, oh, I was so annoyed with the second one, I was like, that's it. I the third know. one's less bad than the second one, but still bad. Mm. Uh, three, uh, I've only got Superman 4 uh, in mm. there. I didn't throw track, track 3 in there, because it's it does have some cool stuff, <laughs> and uh, uh, but four is just I an embarrassment all around. I agree. Most of the internet agreed with you. Yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, I've got Highlander Two: The Quickening, which is it's. I don't know. It just it, it makes me angry. <laughs> so, you know. Hi- Highlander Two: The Quickening is a what the hell? <laughs> it's just it's insane. What, what what exactly was anybody involved <laughs> in that film thinking? When they decided to do that sequel, Highlander Two for me is the epitome of the question that I that I sort of, I've asked quite often. It's like, don't these people realise that the film they're making is crap? <laughs> and it's like, why in the midst of making this film, why doesn't nobody just sort of stop and think, you know what? Hang on a second, this is just what, terrible. What, what, why did we think space aliens were the way to go? <laughs> no, no, they, they, someone did. His name is Sean Connery. Yeah, yes. exactly. Uh, and at number one, I've got Spider-Man 3. Now, Spider-Man 3 is, is not even as bad as some of the others on this list. But the reason I put it at number one is because of the emotional impact it had on me. It's Spider-Man 1 and 2 for me, uh, uh, two of the greatest superhero films ever made, um, especially number two. Um, and Spider-Man 3 is such a disaster <laughs> that it, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth of the other two. And also because of what happened when I went to see it. Now, I, I went to. I, I actually dragged Luke's stepfather. Is it? Yeah, stepfather. stepfather yep. Yeah. Um, uh, and mother. She came as well. Yeah, and mm. yeah, and, and Luke's mum as well. Um, and I, I, I hold those, these people in, in very high esteem. Yeah. Um, it's no no secret. Secret. Yeah, it's, it's, it's no secret that uh, I think Mark is uh, is a god amongst men. And <laughs> and uh, you know, for, for once, I actually agreed to come out to the movies with us yeah. and and see and off we go. And, and I'm really excited. And you know, it's as as a big Spidey fan that I am. And about halfway through that film, which is when the dance sequence occurs, and 
I just I had my head in shape. It was like I made the film. I was so embarrassed <laughs> and ashamed um, that I, I just I just couldn't look them in the eye <laughs> after the film. So it's uh, that's why it's out there. I would have been <laughs> emotional scarring. Wasn't on your list. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that night, and I remember their reaction to it as well. <laughs> I know, it's just. I don't know. It's you you were absolutely, absolutely furious yeah, with Spider-Man Three. Like you, that that was that was one of the first massive nerd rants that I'd seen. And I'd known you for a long time at that point, but you just you just couldn't stop. It was just it that is, was it. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> you can laugh about it now. <laughs> I can laugh about it now. Yes, but at the time, no. Uh, so let's uh, move on to Richard. Yeah, I actually did this in a, a bit of a scientific method. Cool. In that I looked at. What I ranked the original films, you know, on say on our Luke scale, and then what I ranked the sequels on the Luke scale, oh. and whichever ones actually had the biggest difference in score between the original and the sequel, like those it. are the ones the that made the list. Biggest differential, yeah, I like that. Yeah. So um, at number five, Highlander two, <laughs> for all the reasons that we've already stated. I I remember go. I was so excited because I loved Highlander as a kid, and I remember. Um, uh, Aaron from Black Panel, he and I went to see this and we were so excited and we walked out with the kind of reaction you had to Spider-Man 3. We were so, <laughs> so angry. Um, it's an insult. So that was number five. Um, at number four, um, I have Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. The reason Superman 3 doesn't make it in, by the way, is because Superman, evil Superman versus Clark Kent yeah. is awesome. Right, and to me, that that saves Superman three a little bit, just because of that one. Scene. My, and my my other one would be just because Richard Pryor is awesome. Uh, mm. I love Richard Pryor, even though he yeah. doesn't it doesn't he doesn't suit the film. Like he's yeah. important in being there. It's just I just I, well, I like mm. I love him so much. <laughs> even as a kid, I did not like evil Superman versus Clark Kent. It made no sense to me. Like, they're the same. Oh, yeah, look, it's just, it just in and of itself, I love the it's scene. Awesome. Like I, I agree with you. Like it is stupid. But just the scene itself, uh, Jerk I love. Superman, yeah. when he writes the Tower of Pisa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, it is kind of a silly superhero comic book sort of thing, but yeah. I-, I loved it because of that. So. That's fair enough. Um, okay, my number three film is actually Psycho 3. Oh, not right? two. Look, two, two, is, two is okay. Two like, is competently made. Yeah, there, there's some interesting elements to two. Yeah. Um, it's not great. Um, but at least, at least there's some sort of logical progression from the first story to the second story. Um, whereas Psycho Three is really direct-to-video garbage. It's got awful titillation in it. Um, there's you know, the naked woman getting killed in the in the telephone booth to try and you know recapture the the shower scene. You know, but why it's, is it's a naked crash. lady in the telephone booth to start with? Because this movie thought mm, breasts. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> Everybody loves boobs. That's pretty much what it came down to. And like <laughs> this is it's it's like they've taken what is you know possibly the greatest um, you know serial killer movie ever made. Was the greatest Hitchcock movie ever made, and arguably the greatest Hitchcock movie ever made, <laughs> and turned least. it into a cheap video nasty '80s video nasty. But to crack me for Rob, but isn't three directed by Anthony Perkins? It might be. I'm pretty sure yeah, it is. It it's might be three or four. He, yeah. he does at least one. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he can be a brilliant actor, but not so good a director. Yeah, yeah look, that's that's true. I, I just find it quite surprising that yeah. the man who knows. Yeah. Norman Bates more than anybody yeah. else thought to throw, 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 yeah. throw some booze in there. Yeah. I thought that'd be odd. And, and I must admit, that this was, there was a bit of a toss-up here as far as slasher sequels go because um, 
I almost included Hannibal. Yeah. For, for the same sort of thing. Just what the hell? <laughs> but um, yeah, but okay. Psycho 3, just for being absolute trash. Yep. Gets it. Okay. Um, my number two film is Jaws for the Revenge. Because as we've already stated, <laughs> Jaws, an absolute masterpiece. Yeah. Like one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. And the second one is pretty ordinary. The third one is crap. And then four somehow managed to be worse. <laughs> but uh, my, my number one film has to go to The Exorcist to the Heretic. Yay! <laughs> or as I like to call it, two hours of Richard Burton sweating. The sweatening. <laughs> the sweatening. Exorcist to the sweatening. I mean, the, the, ex- the Exorcist for me is an absolute masterclass in horror. Yeah. You know, it's a slow build, little bit by little bit. It just gets more and more horrifying as it goes along until you have the big finale. Whereas The Exorcist 2... Seriously, what kind of <laughs> drugs were they on when they thought this was a good idea? And the saddest part about this is that Richard Burton is a good actor. Yeah. It's directed by... Richard Burton. Um, Burton. Burton. I haven't seen it. Is it Borman? <laughs> John Borman, probably. Stop directed saying Burton by, at me. It's Burton. directed by John Borman, yeah. who is actually a good, has directed great <laughs> movies. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, and yet somehow this movie just happens to be absolute crap. I think the, the, its biggest fault is that it's just boring. It is very, very so boring. very boring. Yeah. And yeah. that's it. That's, that's it. my thought. You were remembering my response to The Exorcist, yeah. you? <laughs> I say, so my top five. I actually changed this a little bit listening to some. I am actually going to include Mission Impossible 2 at number five. Cool. Because I remember sitting in the audience, sitting in the audience watching the film. And I, the first, and as Crystal said, the first film's not great, but it is certainly entertaining and there are some nice moments in it. Whereas Mission Impossible 2, it just felt like Tom Cruise's ego mm. had taken over completely. There was no story. Um, Robert Town said afterwards, yeah, I basically got told to write a script around the action sequences mm. that I'd already devised. And that was clear. He said they're going, really? This is some of the most ludicrous storytelling in what is, you know, admittedly a ludicrous franchise anyway. But really, could mm. you, you couldn't have reined this in a little bit and given us more of a, you know, uh, espionage spy story to go with, you know, motorbikes flying across the screen? In slow motion. The motorbike sequence is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so Mission Impossible 2. Yeah. Terrible. Um, mission, my, my number four is um, uh, The Creature Walks Among Us, which is the third <laughs> yes. in, the, in the Creature from the Black Lagoon franchise. Cool. Now, number two is not great, but number two stands out because at, at no point do I feel anything but sympathy for the creature, and when he wreaks havoc on humanity, I think nothing but, yeah, we deserve this. Right. Whereas, there is none of that in number three. In number three, they go, well, let's take him out of the lagoon environment, let's take him out of the water for a start, mm. and let's transform him... Um, so that you know he can breathe on land. So yeah. they take this leaf creature, put him, uh, put him in a, you know almost like a muumu type, costume, <laughs> type tracksuit pants. He looks like a sumo wrestler walking around half the time. And let's not, let's let's make sure that we keep the title monster out of the picture for a good portion of the film. So he turns up at the end to wreak a bit of havoc, but we'll have boring humans running across the screen telling us some kind of story. You said they're going. Yeah, I can, I'm, not, I'm not surprised this is the last film in this franchise because, yeah, this is quite clearly the death knell. This is the bell that you ring when you say, we've got no more ideas, yeah. but it's, we just want your money. Give us your money now. So um, what you're saying is it, it was no Dawnzilla? No Dawnzilla. <laughs> Speaking of which, this brings us to my number three, which is Godzilla or Monsters Attack. Yes. Now, this... Is this almost didn't make it because the the previous one before it, Godzilla and Son, is dreadful. 
However, what cements all monsters' attacks position on this list is the fact that it takes clips from Godzilla and Son and tries to recut them into a story starring a cute little kid who's been kidnapped by some gangsters and has to get saved by, um, not Gadzuki, what's Godzilla's? Manila. 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 Um, Seriously? Then, yeah. Yep, it's just... It is it's, basically, it's, it's a clip, it is basically, it's a clip movie. Yeah, it is basically a clip show for Godzilla. It's not the one I, the, the, I mean, since then, it's the clip show. I mean, they, they do that all the time. Mm. But, it's just, but the fact that it, like, look, little, the kidnapped kid gets saved by Godzilla's son. By Manila, and to a certain lesser extent, Godzilla. But you, there is no original Godzilla footage in this. It is clip show. It is clips from Godzilla and Son, which, is, which are awful clips to begin with. It is some of the That's cheapest hilarious. stuff anyway. Two more. Okay. Um, I've also got The Matrix Reloaded. Because, yeah, it, how you take what is an interesting action science fiction film and then turn it into a philosophical, um, a philosophical uh, mess. Mike. Yeah, it's. <laughs> Let's be honest. That's what it is. Um, and <laughs> then deciding that Neo's got to fight a hundred Agent Smiths for no real reason other than, yeah. hey, we came up with this idea. And that's um, and that's my big problem with it. It's it's two hour movie, but with only about thirty minutes of story. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a philosophical so man. And number one. Batman and Robin. <laughs> I knew you had to have at least one Batman Someone can have it. Um, Absolutely. And, yeah, it's... Talking about death knells before with Revenge of the Creature, this did sound the death knell for the Batman franchise for seven, eight years. It's got Mr. Freeze in it. What killed the dinosaurs? <laughs> the Ice Age! I can you not love that? Ice okay. to meet you. <laughs> Wizard, Wizard Magazine you did, throw a did this little questionnaire type thing you about, you know, what, what, what was, what wasn't, and they said, what was worse for comics, Joel Schumacher or Frederick Wortham? And their <laughs> answer to the question was, one brought the uh, one brought the comic book industry to its knees, the other wrote a book. <laughs> um, this turned, this turned uh, Burton's reimagining of the... Burton. Burton's, um... Let's <laughs> start. Uh, attempts to get Batman out of the mire and back into you know the darkness, um, turned it on his head. Didn't yeah. even have you know the the quite interesting campy shenanigans of the Adam West series. This is just camp nonsense. Yeah, there's nothing funny about this at all. There is nothing amusing. There is nothing charming about this. Um, George Clooney, you know, he <laughs> I looks. Gotta, I gotta disagree. Mister Freeze is hilarious. <laughs> no, Mister Freeze is awful. <laughs> Ice Age. Ice Age. <laughs> this is just hands down bad. It is, it is bad, right? This if there's is, no shenanigans, it's not good enough. But, you know, even even even, even Adam West had bow. Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm with and, you. And the story's wrong. There's nothing wrong with camp, just... as long as there's sh- camp shenanigans. Mm. Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, anyway, moving on. That was a very entertaining top five. Uh, I always knew you'd have some classics on there. Mm. Godzilla. Uh, let's finish up. We're coming soon. Coming soon in Australian cinemas, April 2nd, we get Fast and Furious 7. The Fast the, and Furious film that we had to have. The franchise that is just somehow still going. I like 5 and 6. Even so when one of its lead actors is dead. And <laughs> it should be said, a car accident. Yeah. To, um, <laughs> he to wasn't be, driving, though. To be fair to this franchise, at least they have actually changed it up yeah. to try and make the movies a bit different to the first few, which were just, from what I can tell, just like car race movies, right? Yeah. And now they're like super action-y work for Just very, just very, very briefly, we were talking about continuity before. This is a classic example. <laughs> Tokyo Drift, which is the third film, one of the characters dies in it, Hom, mm. and he shows up in 
five or something, <laughs> right? Alive and well. <laughs> There's no explanation. But so, so what they've said is that Tokyo Drift actually occurs after uh, five, six, and now presumably seven because Hon's in seven as well, right? So <laughs> five, six, and seven occur before three. But the problem with that is that the main character from three, Tokyo Drift, the American kid, is in seven. So <laughs> if, he, if he shows up in seven saying, hey, it's you know nice to meet you all again, that throws that all that continuity out the window. So I don't know. I haven't, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm, I'm very. I'm just, I want to see it mainly because I want to see how they handle that kid. I've never seen a single one of these movies. So uh, I can't you'd, do you'd, it. you'd probably like six. Uh, yeah, you probably like six. Six pretty cool. Um, SpongeBob movie. No, uh, yet another SpongeBob movie. He's um, a sponge and he's square and he's got pets. He is. He's a superhero in this one too. Yeah. The the what's the the tagline is is. is Bummed out of water or something. I don't know. Does this um, one have David Hasselhoff in it? No, it doesn't have the Hoff. Uh, I rode the Hoff. The the Duff, which I don't know anything about. Uh, the Book of Life, which has been held back till now, because it's um, if you haven't gathered from the films that I've mentioned, it's, it's, uh, it's school, school holidays. holidays. School holidays in Australia. So I'm actually looking forward. Stuff. Sorry, I'm looking yeah. forward to the Book of Life. I think, oh, it, looks I think it looks really awesome. Nice. Yeah, yeah. To give you an idea about it, this is basically what if. Um, the corpse part was done by Guillermo del Toro instead of Tim Burton. Yeah, essentially. Um, yeah, so it's the Mexican hmm. festival. Yeah. Day of the Dead. Day of the Dead, so it's pretty cool. Um, and uh, Tinkerbell and the Legend of the Never Beast. He's a beast that nevers. Is that like a mangog? He's, I, I'm pretty safe to say he has a mangog. Right. <laughs> I, I, assume oh, it's, I assume he's... It's getting weird and wrong. I assume he's like a yeti type creature. Getting? Anyway. <laughs> so that's it for this episode 136. Thank you very much for joining us. That's it from me. And the crew, Richo. That is it from me as well. <laughs> Do it in the Addy voice. That is it from me as well. You can now send me to the cooler. And Luke, I'm going to do a slightly different thing. You know, going with the, you know, the classics yeah. as well. You know, in a world. That's, that's like that's the other voice. That's oh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Crystal. Burton. 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 Stop saying Burton. <laughs> Jack Burton? It's all Sorry. in the reflexes. <laughs> so, for anyone who's even slightly interested, we'll just refer to it as equals from QI. <laughs> anyway, so that's it for episode 136. Bye. 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 You've been listening to Nerd Culture Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email to feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com. You can run on our wall if you go to the Facebook page. Go to facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast. Tweet us at nerdculturecast. Skype us on Nerd Culture Podcast. If we don't answer, leave a message. We might even play it on the show. You can comment on any post on our website. www.nerdculturepodcast.com If you'd like to support the show, use the Amazon affiliate widget on our website to do your Amazon shopping. It doesn't cost you any extra, and a small percentage of the profit goes towards helping us to produce our show. We can see what you buy, but not who you are, so your privacy is assured. Check out our videos at ncptv.net or search for NCPTV on YouTube because we also have a YouTube channel. Don't forget, you can rate, review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Wondering where you can hear more of Bo? Go to ecnradio.com. Bo and David also have another podcast called Film Flames. More info at www.filmflames.com. You can find all of our podcasts and more at undercastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes.